in my early IT career, I worked technical support. I took phone calls. And uh, the company I worked at, we made um, games. Some of those came on a single floppy disk, advanced dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons is the case. Uh, and we had someone, a repeat offender, who would call call a few times in a row. My di uh, something wrong with the game. I played it once. I put the disk back in, and, and now I can't play anymore. Um, okay, great. We'll send you another one. Stick another disk in the mail. Move on. Well, a week or two later, we get another call. Same thing. The, the, the person who took the call didn't realize that they had called in before, so sent another disk. Now the person calls back in and says, hey, I, I've been to this twice. Don't send me another disk. I, I've got a bigger problem. Okay, great. Describe to us what you do. Put the game in. I, I enter a few commands. I save. Great. Now what happens? Now I take the disk out and I use a magnet to stick it to my refrigerator. And of course, that renders a floppy disk completely useless. So there's my disaster recovery story. Don't use magnets and floppy disks. Oh, no. Or if you're in Gen Z, it's the thing that looks like the save icon. Yeah. That too. <laughs> oh, boy. True story. Um, what, what was the recovery part of your story? Uh, it was end user error. Don't, <laughs> best practice. Oh, and, and avoid best the practice. disaster. That's right. Avoid this to, to create a disaster for yourself. I was thinking when you brought this up, I'm like, do I have a good disaster story? But it's a disaster for me. I had um, my address book, like pen and paper written out, all these names and phone numbers, like my holy grail here. And I put it down somewhere and I hit a cup of water and it just went all over my book. And I was like, oh, no, you know, so I got it. And I'm like trying to get all the water off and everything. Thankfully, recently I transitioned to um, like these special Sharpie pens that don't bleed. So like it was completely soaked, but nothing was destroyed. So, uh, you know, my disaster recovery was a little bit of like the forethought of uh, changing the type of pens that I use. So it's like a total mess. It's all warped, but all of it is readable. So that is my disaster story. <laughs> that was a twist ending for me. I thought for sure you were like, I transitioned using my phone. And then you were like, no, it was the pen. And I was no, like, it's the pen. Well, the, the phone is not um, averse to being destroyed by water either, but I did like that. This is a fantastic transition, right? So what's the real disaster? Better planning, mm -hmm. which is really leads really well into a deep dive on backups and so forth. There you go. Woo, segue. Today, we're talking about um, RTOs and RPOs. Tara, Kelsey, and myself are joined by Todd, our COO and CISO, Scott, our manager of strategic engagement, and Matthew, our VCSO. And before we kind of dive in, um, I'm going to throw it to Scott to give us a little bit of an overview. What does someone need to kind of understand to really listen to the rest of this podcast today? Thanks for that intro, Ariel. Um, this is a topic I'm really passionate about. It fits right into what I am talking about, talking about to customers very often, um, which is uh, acronyms, fun IT acronyms, RPO uh, and RTO. So what are those two things? Um, let's first uh, uh, explode the acronym and say RPO is recovery point objective. 
And I'll talk about that one specifically. Um, let's think about normal computer systems operation. Um, and then let's think about the time a disaster strikes. RPO, recovery point objective, is the amount of data, transactional data, the organization is tolerant of losing in that time frame, right? So let's say, for example, uh, we have a disaster at precisely noon on a Tuesday. And you've been working up until that time throughout the day. So say people started working at 8 a.m. The last backup of your critical data occurred yesterday, so on Monday. So what that means is you would have lost any transactions that would have occurred in that before that time frame. Um, the last backup ended or was performed the night before. Uh, you then were working, and then there was a then there was a disaster, and you don't have backup of that transactional data. So that's what RPO is. It's our recovery point objective. What we're trying to navigate there is the time that backups occur and when you're susceptible to have a disaster and how much transactional data you are tolerant of losing. Recovery time objective, or the other acronym, RTO, is simply the um, amount of time uh, that you're tolerant uh, for experiencing downtime. So again, let's think about normal operation, same time frame. we're operating normal from 8 a.m. and then at noon there's a, there's a disaster. What's the amount of time that the organization has expressed uh, it's willing to deal with in, in, in that outage? Um, most organizations say, well, zero, Scott. Well, that's fine, that's the absolute tip of the cost pyramid, but it's an important conversation to have. So that's a brief overview of what RPO and what RTO are. Um, again, I'm really passionate about this. Uh, these two topics, I have this conversation very often, um, which uh, usually sounds like this. Scott, what's our recovery time? Well, I need the organization to communicate to me what its recovery time goals are. Right, so often that's a two-way conversation. The organization really needs to ask itself, what's our tolerance for transactional data loss? What's our, what's our tolerance for um, outage in any one of the applications that we use every day? And with that, I will, uh, I'll hand the mic over to uh, the rest of the group. Ready, set, go. All right, I'll go. You're going to be quiet. I'll go. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I agree everything that Scott said. I, I typically have a, a smaller, uh, shorter version of both of those, but irrelevant. Um, I, I think you have a great intro to what that conversation typically looks like and what the next steps usually are is it depends on who you talk to. Right. So if you talk to the CEO, the, the CFO, their answer is going to be none. I have zero tolerance from downtime. And you go, great. Let's dig into that a little bit further. Um, if you talk to your IT manager, they're going to say, well, I don't really have any budget. So we're looking at, you know, 24 hours, 48. And you can see there's a fairly large gap in there. Um, one of the very first things that I, I would typically do is start to ask the questions of, have you gone through the process of identifying what your various systems are and putting a criticality on them, right? So as I said, the CEO, CFO is going to come in and say, 
none. I want it up all immediately. I want you to tell me I can have it in five minutes and that's everything. And that's super. That's great. That might be possible. We can figure out what we can do about that. But then we need to start digging into that and saying, okay, well, let's look at that. What are the critical things that you have in your business? Are Do you make stamps? Do you have strictly a technical deliverable? What is that? And if I didn't have it, what does it take to get that back up, right? So one of the things Scott kind of got into is what is the physical cost of that downtime look like? And we will we'll do a deeper dive on this, but those would be various things like what is the reputational impact? Um, what does it look like if I can't do transactions? Point of sale system is offline. You name it. It's a variety of different things. And you do need to look at those individually and say, what does it mean to me if I don't have that? Could I live without my accounting package for 24 hours? Maybe. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Todd and Scott have said. There's most of the time when I see the confusion around this as well, just because I don't want to, you know, rehash anything you guys have just said, I'll move on. Um, when I see confusion around this, it tends to be because there isn't that kind of breakdown uh, that's been mentioned. You haven't gone through and defined everything or it's because everything is being done a specific way. Um, if you're running two servers in your system that do all of the things that your business requires, the RTO and RPO for you is is going to be different because you don't have to worry about the individual systems. At the same time, if one thing goes down, everything goes down. Um, restarting one server requires restarting every other process you're using. Best practice says that every server should have a single purpose for what it's running. And when we think about it from that perspective, the RTOs and RPOs become a lot clearer because we have categorized everything we have in our system. We've defined what everything is doing. And so those machines are individual points that can be restored. Uh, sorry, they have individual points where they can be restored. They're all being backed up separately so that we know exactly how long that time is from when, uh, if there is that, that breakdown at say 12 o'clock, if each of them has a different backup schedule, we know how much data has been lost prior to that for each service we're using, whether that's accounting software, whether that's your uh, internal timekeeping software, whatever it is. If they're properly segmented and then uh, organized and tracked this way with an RTO and RPO, you'll be able to see exactly how critical each of these is to you. And instead of it being a chunk of change to make sure no matter what, everything's up 100% of the time, maybe we can just focus on a couple of services being up 100% of the time. Uh, we can focus on getting certain items restored far quicker than everything else. Yeah, I, I guess one thing that I'd throw in at the beginning of this is, um, I think it's pretty safe to say in today's environment, you have backups of your core systems. Everybody does. Um, and Matthew started to allude to this a little bit too, is more than likely somebody at some point has decided what the backup schedule is. And Scott kind of alluded to this. It could be, you know, traditionally it used to be, I'm going to do an incremental backup, which is anything that's changed over the last 24 hours. And then at the end of the week, you'd say, I'm going to grab everything because nobody's working. Um, that has changed over the years. Technology has changed. The ability to do backups is, is significantly different than it was even five, 10 years ago. And so um, it, what's in place currently will vary but there is something currently in place. What we typically find is that most organizations have not got to a very 
mature process yet. So when Scott's getting into, I'm passionate about this, the reason why he's passionate about it is you go into an organization and say, what does your backup look like? And they're like, well, if it fails, I just restore. That's the end of the conversation. So there is something there. There is something in place. But digging in deeper is what the next steps are, which is, again, why we're here today. Yeah. yeah this, and as part of that, sorry. I kind of feel like if like we're having this conversation and if if it's something you haven't heard before, know that this conversation, maybe not with this language, but it's been made. This decision has been made. Um, your restore times may be 24 hours. It may be three to seven days. But someone's made this decision maybe subconsciously or just on what's available to allow these uh, items to be brought back. Um, so even though you haven't defined it and, and said this is what we want it to be, the resources that have been allocated to your IT define this already. And it's about making sure that aligns with what we actually want. Right. It so often becomes less of a technology conversation and much more of a business risk discussion in the same way that a business would analyze its risk related to security of their building, um, you know, things like that. Um, other insurance related risks from a business perspective, this becomes one of those things. Um, I would re recommend that business owners, stakeholders don't wait for technology to drive this this type of a conversation. They absolutely should be having this conversation in within board and leadership type of meetings to, to address, flush out, um, and, and, and mitigate uh, that risk. Um, an interesting dynamic to the way this has evolved, even over the course of the last five years, is that much more of our line of business or critical applications have migrated to a cloud type of an environment. In that case, this changes a little bit. In the past, where we might be concerned about um, redundant physical servers, um, redundant storage arrays, though the redundancies associated with the capital the CapEx infrastructure that an organization has traditionally invested in um, changes when that workload, let's call it Salesforce or an accounting application, um, migrates to the cloud. Now, the area of risk becomes the, your connection to the internet, right? And so things like firewalls, things like internet connections, those become the single point of failure. That's where risk exists. And so Addressing the RTO component, the recovery time objective, if you have one firewall and one internet and Comcast cuts the fiber out on the street, you, you know, you we, who knows at that point in time? We don't know how long the outage could occur for. Um, so that's kind of the nature of how some of that, I've seen that changing. Those are some of the conversations, again, I've been having with uh, with, with our customers. Yeah, I think that was really good stuff, too. I, we did talk about better planning at the very beginning of the podcast as we were doing our transition. Um, and cloud is an excellent conversation. We've got had podcasts on them in the past. One of the things I kind of wanted to drive into a little bit more, and I think this kind of helps um, expand on what we're talking about, is if you're looking at the cloud, almost every cloud provider will tell you they have the three nines. They're up 99.9 .9 whatever percent of the time. Um, and and kind of giving an idea of what that context is. That sounds amazing, right? But there there is still downtime associated with that. That does not mean it doesn't go offline during the year. Yeah. And I, I think part of this, when we talk about something like the uh, the internet outage, 
we're talking about that whole process, right? So if you've got items in the cloud, your internet goes down, hey, that's a different, that's a huge conversation at that point. Are you just gonna get a second internet line that you only use when you need it? Cool, there's that business conversation around it. Um, but when it comes to finding those items, uh, I tend to feel there's a significant amount of pushback uh, in, in the less mature organizations around simply being aware of exactly what they have. Uh, they either focus on the physical hardware only, these are the machines we have, this is the servers we have, this is the stuff we have in the cloud, or they focus really on the certain applications that assist them in making money as an organization. So they're very good at tracking what they use for billing customers or tracking their services, their time and billing, but the apps that people use individually to maybe mark up PDFs or um, maybe there's a unique system that someone's using that is incredibly invaluable um, and critical to their to their work style that just isn't documented anywhere. Starting there is, in my opinion, the first thing you have to do. Um, if you've done a risk assessment or anything like that before, you should have this list already. Uh, but definitely take some time and don't worry about it being perfect. Uh, focus more on getting as many things down as you can, speaking with every team, making sure they're listed right out the gate. I just had a conversation last week with someone who I'd spoken to about doing this, and they realized there was four different tools that different individuals were using that all did the exact same purpose that they were paying for separately. All of which could just be turned down to one monthly charge for a single tool. Right out the gate, we're saving some money. Um, once you've done that, that's when the categorization comes in, defining how critical software is. And it seems like uh, a lot of the time I'll see people do this, you know, hourly. They'll do it by a minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day standard. You can categorize them further. Once you've done that and kind of gone through these applications, said, I need this service available to me within X amount of time, or I start to see significant business losses. You can then say, well, if anything needs a less than three hour time frame, that is a critical software. I need backups every three hours and I want to be able to restore it within four hours, for instance, just as a general idea. And you can define these numbers yourself. And then you can start categorizing everything you have within whatever these limits are for you. And then we start talking about how we can make sure those items are available to you within those time frames as much as possible. And you start looking at the the cost analysis of how much does it cost for us to be down versus how much we have to spend to make it not be down for extended periods of time. These are where the conversations really get intense um, because we give it that monetary value that we've talked about. Um, and you start seeing it's I've, I've been with I've worked with organizations where an hour of downtime was a six figure sum loss. Uh, suddenly trying to build a system that allows them to stay up to those three nines seems less expensive when their previous RTO or their previous RPO was close to six hours. So we're talking, you know, seven figure sums that they're losing over that six hour period. Maybe an additional two, three hundred thousand dollars in hardware in the office isn't such a bad expenditure at that point. Right. So I just kind of wrapping that up a little bit. I mean, essentially, it, it seems like it potentially may be complicated to say, 
what is that asset? How do I know what to put it as a criticality? How do I set them on a downtime? And you kind of alluded to it there. And in simplest terms, if I'm just going to straight up boil that down is what is the actual cost to the organization to have that down? And you can decide whether that metric is in minutes or hours. Most people would typically do it in hours. But what is the financial impact of having that? Again, I had mentioned in some organizations, uh, a financial package may not be something that's huge. They may not do a ton of transactions and they can handle it outside the system for 24 hours you've suddenly come up with, I know what my recovery point is. Um, or by comparison, as Matthew just alluded to, is in the system that he's talking about, my recovery point is much, and my time, is much smaller than that. So I can start to put dollar figures to it exactly really quickly. There are some other things I mentioned in it earlier too, is reputational cost and so forth. But you can quantify these items by putting just together a handful of questions. What is the financial impact per hour? Is there a reputational hit? What does that look like? What does it cost us? Do we lose customers? Those kinds of the things that we should be focused on as we start to dig into RTOs and RPOs going forward. One thing I want to mention, because uh, I don't think we've defined this yet. Um, what is an asset? What is something that we care about when we're doing this? Uh, I heard a, for me at least, new definition of this the other day that has been breaking my brain, which is an asset is anything of value to the organization. So when we talk about this, you think of hardware, you think of software, you think of, of data, right? But it also means things like your website URL. We hear horror stories, right, of organizations forgetting to renew their their domain name and suddenly someone else owns it because they weren't quick enough to re to renew it. Um, we're talking about SSL certs so that your um, servers correctly make the connections in a secure way. Listing everything that the organization provides, uh, organization considers to have value to its business is what's important. Where does this kind of separate things for me maybe you have 10 to 15 keyboards out the back so you don't care about keyboards as a, 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 a as an asset of value to the organization just don't track them that's fine that's the distinction you get to make with this is are we going to worry about the cost of this product or the cost of this item this data this uh, this hardware long term and track it within our system that we define replacement costs for. If it's in there, yes, you should be doing this for it. You should have an RTO and RPO. Some of them may be incredibly long lead times. <laughs> I'm not sure if, you know, maybe webcams are on your list, but you don't need one to be replaced that same day. Maybe there's a six month lead time on that. Uh, but we're trying to make sure that you've defined what's important to the organization first those are your assets and then your rto and rpo relate relate to how quickly you replace them and how much of their their data or their usage is backed up and retrievable um over that that same time period and prior after a manufacturing organization it might be a machine on the floor yeah right i mean there's lots of different ways to look at this and you know the traditional hundred-year-old manufacturing organization that spends, you know, millions and millions of dollars per machine that makes their widget has parts for that machine. They've got support and service for that machine. They may even have an employee who's a support service 
champion for that machine. Those are the same kinds of lenses we need to look through when we think about data and applications. That's a great point. I, I we we sometimes forget the uh, the operational cost of it when it comes to the individual, right? Because um, you're pro in some cases, I'm thinking of uh, medical labs coming to mind straight away. There are individuals who are literally paid to sit there and make sure everything's going according to plan to be available if something goes wrong. Um, sometimes there's more than one and they're being paid like completely valid amounts of money <laughs> for what the loss of uh, uh, what the value is for what they're doing, but they may not do anything throughout that day. So you've already, that, that RTO and RPO has been assigned to the product uh, and the, the service that's being completed and that individual has been put up as the solution to that to minimize those numbers. Uh, it's not always just we need a, a secondary location to go to if something happens to our primary location or we need backup servers in case that's necessary. It's every tool you can come up with to make those numbers as low as possible. Um, I'll shift a little bit. When we think about what I was referring to earlier and the internet being um, the single point of failure, we, we only have one firewall, we only have one internet connection. Um, some organizations uh, have been able to navigate the remote work scenario very, very well um, due to the pandemic. Um, and that has added a component to this. Well, if our internet goes down and all of our applications live in the cloud, there's an enormous amount of mobility that comes into that uh, uh, scenario, right? Well, every, our, our applications are in the cloud. Our people can be very mobile. Everyone's got laptops. We did away with the desktop long ago. They can pick up their laptops. They can go home. They can go to a coffee shop. They can they can do some things from their phone. Those uh, uh, present potential recovery scenarios, right? Um, uh, in the event that, again, we're talking about an internet outage at um, the organization's location where its people are. However, um, I think to say that out loud is kind of one thing, um, and then to expect it to happen is another. Uh, should the fiber get cut under, you know, un, uh, underneath the ground, uh, out beside the building, and all of a sudden there's no internet to stop everybody from working, get them up, instruct them to go home, instruct them to go to another location. Uh, sounds good, but we all know that along the way. Um, on the way home, things may happen. There's still a significant amount of disruption in that process, right? Um, uh, I certainly trust people that to, to go home and continue to their work day, but some people may, may take an extended lunch. Um, some people might not be as comfortable with or uh, uh, make an easier transition from the office to their, their home location to continue to work. So well, the idea that the cloud brings that um, uh, portability to the organization, there still is some people process there to say, okay, the internet's out, everybody go home and work, um, right? How much do we trust that? Um, how well is that going to work for our organization? It's not a bad idea to think about an exercise that tests that. What do we know about people's ability to work from home? Um, and so then that connects us back to, is it just worth the investment in an additional firewall, another internet connection to, to make up for an outage in either one of those scenarios where we're very dependent on the internet. Yeah, and we have uh, multiple scenarios, obviously, where, uh, I mean, right out the gate, I've been called paranoid 
multiple times during this and uh, <laughs> not during this podcast, but others. Um, and part of that is preparing for those worst case scenarios is, is a large part of what this is. No, we don't want to think about it, but hey, let's mitigate it just in case. Natural disasters, someone cutting cables, whatever it is, it may happen, right? Um, because of, heck, just someone working on the street outside can have an impact to people getting into the building, right? Um, work from home scenarios, uh, test restores, uh, disaster recovery and business continuity plans play into this very heavily, but I talk about them enough. Uh, so <laughs> if you have more questions, let us know. Um, the thing for me that, that comes from that, because Scott's right, we should, as much as you can, test these policies, test these plans you put in place, figure out where there's deficits in what you're doing. Um, and and right out the gate, first question you can ask is, hey, if some if this goes down, if this tool was unavailable because of any reason, how long would it take to come back up? Ask your internal IT. I mean, ask ask CIT if we're your <laughs> if we're your internal if we're your IT. Ask us because we have numbers on on what we believe we can get that done to you. Uh, we can how quickly we can do that for you. If you have goals in mind then your internal IT or your external IT will work with you to come up with what those numbers are now and do what they can to bridge that gap. Oftentimes, it is a budgetary item where maybe it just needs it just needs a little bit more money thrown at it. So by doing these RTOs and RPOs, you can find out if that's beneficial to the organization. Um, starting with, here's all the things that can go wrong. Uh, is my favorite way to do it. Uh, but that's not beneficial to a lot of people. I know some people prefer to go the route of how important is this and then build down from that uh, rather than being paranoid first, which I'm sure is a, a valid way to do it. Uh, I'm in security, so paranoid at the first is where we where we start. Um, yeah. As we dig into this, um, I know we kind of talked about in a lot of ways there are various levels of risk right and that will largely impact how quickly we want to recover there are a lot of different ways you can go about that there's and, and we can dig into this and you guys can tell me whether it makes sense to do it or not but you can have um like mirrored sites for an example you got a hot recovery someone so this intent of staying up all the time that's essentially what we're doing um when we throw something to the cloud but those things that are not quite as critical, you still have the ability to decide how you want to recover to them. Uh, I, I, one of the, at the beginning, I kind of alluded to a lot of people will say, well, we just want everything up all the time, which I agree, me too. That gets back to the paranoid thing. But the reality is, if everything went down, you will have to pick. How do I decide what's the most important thing to do? So informally every organization knows what that is because when push comes to shove they'll go okay well if you made me pick i would pick this although i'll resist you every step of the way but now that i have to i can do that eventually you can get to a point where you say in this particular instance all i really need is you can use whatever term you want to do is i just need a cold system i can restore to or spare or, or whatever the case may be um so the question for you guys is do you want to go down that path too and talk about what that looks like you started to allude to the acceptable recovery there is a flat out cost where someone will eventually say nope it's just way too much i will not pay that to get this email server back up and running um, 
I, uh, Todd, I heard you say something in there that's important. Um, and I know we're coming up on time. Um, and that was everybody inherently kind of knows in their mind what they think that recovery time objective is, right? And I think you're right. The, the overwhelmingly, um, I've sat in too many meetings where there was an assumption that was made by the business, right? By business leadership that said, well, we just kind of thought IT had that figured out for us. They just knew that, you know, we want zero downtime or whatever, right? Um, and IT didn't know that because the conversation hadn't taken place. They hadn't sat together in a room, brought technology and the business together and said, this is our expectation our expectation for recovery times, for outage, you know, and, and, and then give technology an opportunity to say, well, you know, I hear you say two hours, the reality is eight. And so we then, the business, need to understand the investment required to shore up that six hours and to get that truth out onto the table. So everybody from technology up through business unit leadership and senior leadership understand what the realities of those things are. Yeah, I think one of the other potential um, pitfalls there is, is business and IT are not talking the same language. IT may have felt like they communicated what that cost would be to get a different setting and, and vice versa, right? The business is saying, well, you should have known, obviously, this is the case, and you're not always in alignment. So at a minimum, having the conversation and making sure that you're aligned is definitely going to be the right step. I know we talked about a risk assessment at the beginning, and quite frankly, it is the beginning to most powerful conversations. You got to understand where you are. If you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going. Yeah. Uh, I'll say this, and uh, I've mentioned this previously, but I, I think you hit the nail on the head for how I think about it, which is that RTO and RPO is a business conversation. And at least in my experience as someone who didn't start out with that business mindset, I distinctly remember that moment where I started to think that way because it was the moment that I started getting senior leadership to listen and understand what I was actually saying because it wasn't just hey here's this cool tool that's going to make my life easier it was here's this cool tool that's going to save the organization time and money <laughs> which is such an obvious distinction now but really took me a while to get there um and oftentimes when you see that when you see that or feel uh, an excessive amount of burnout from internal it I, I i tend to think it's because of that disconnect they're taking on things that they think are meant to be completing these tasks or being told they can't do them because of that. So completely agree that having that communication open from the business side first with this RTO and RPO can really change that conversation, open that communication easier and find where those gaps are that, again, were maybe just assumptions that it, it would work a certain way. Um, and the explanation that came from someone else trying to make it work better just maybe wasn't expressed in the way that that worked for for the leadership team um or vice versa yeah I, I just to kind of summarize that is i think the way that i phrased it was you informally know what it is right push comes to shelf you'll be able to figure it out this process takes it from informal to formal yeah we've covered a lot today and i feel like there's so much more i just wanted to um, give you guys an opportunity if there's anything we didn't cover that you really wanted to say here in today's podcast. RTO and RPO are fun. 
This is fun <laughs> to do. We started off with that. <laughs> we should have started there. <laughs> it's just it's fun. fun. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I, the, I would say it's critical, right? If it, if it isn't clear at the beginning of the meeting, by the time we're done, you, you should hopefully have made the connection that just assuming is insufficient. You do need to do the deep dive. You do need to do the formal planning, and you do need to write that down and make sure that what you've got in place can meet what your expectations are. Um, otherwise, unfortunately, you're set up for a bad day. Yeah. And we want only good days. So assessment, planning, knowing what you have. And if you ever need help, you can always reach out to us. Um, thank you, Todd, Scott, and Matthew for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe. We want to know um, how you're feeling about us and these subjects. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, reach out to us at info at net.com or head out to our website, cit-net.com slash podcast. Thank you for joining us.